Welcome to this week's Hotel Analyst podcast, your weekly dose of thoughts of matters of the moment in and around the hotel investment space. And my name is Chris Bound, the editor at Hotel Analyst, and I'm joined on the call by Andrew Sangster, the editorial director of Hotel Analyst. Uh, and we're first going to chew over uh, the topic of what's happening with the luxury brands and particularly as uh, a number of investors make moves to uh, back particular brands and luxury and lifestyle space. Um, the most recent example of this is uh, investor Kane International who have agreed to specifically back the Delano, Delano, is it Delano? You say Delano, I say Delano brand yeah it's the pronunciation thing it's not my forte as okay you know, or is it thought <laughs> <laughs> um, is it rock or rocco i don't know yes, um, yes. so anyway it's a, it's a brand that belongs to ennismore uh Accor's life lifestyle division and it's uh, it's probably called delano um and uh Kane international have agreed to basically back the brand uh by becoming effectively what looks like their, their kind of property investment partner they're going to be um, backing the refurbishment of the flagship uh, property in in America, and then helping to support uh, and and it's more as they as they roll out the brand globally. Um, similarly, in uh, in the UK, there's a there's a new growing boutique hotel brand called Pig, and Pig Hotels has been backed um, by KSL, who is putting uh, uh, substantial funds into growing that. Uh, and again, it's it's a case where if you're going to grow the brand, you do need a fair bit of heavy lifting behind you to to acquire the properties and develop the properties to deliver this particular brand. You can't just kind of cookie cut um, and, and nick an old office block and convert it uh, because these boutique and luxury and lifestyle brands do need to be something a bit special. And, and all this comes as Morgan Stanley run the numbers on luxury and lifestyle hotels and they've taken a particularly close look at all of the big uh, brand groups to work out who's got the best runway going forward uh, for luxury and lifestyle hotels because as they point out and indeed as Sebastian Bazan recently pointed out uh, during one of uh, his his uh, update calls um, luxury and lifestyle properties generate substantially more fees for the big brand groups than if they're just opening a, a budget hotel or two uh, and Bazan was particularly moaning about people who like to focus on net unit growth and, and number of rooms that have been added to a portfolio when actually he said, you know, it's all very well, an Ibis budget doesn't count quite the same as a, uh, a Sofitel room uh, in terms of the delivery of fees. So, uh, but it's interesting, I think, that um, these, these uh, investors are picking off specific brands within larger brand portfolios. Yeah, so luxury and has is very much um, in the news at the moment. So Europe's first uh, company to break through the US $500 billion, the first company to become a half trillion dollar um, market cap company is LVMH, the luxury goods and all other sorts of luxury stuff including hotels um with belmond but and but Chirac mainly Blanc. handbags but mainly handbags yeah, mainly handbags a few watches yeah, 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 um yeah. the odd scarf um <laughs> but it yeah i mean you know the huge value on that is is attracting a, a very significant uh, you know it, it is now what 10 times the size of marriott so i mean it's pretty significant you can't not um be interested in that if you're in business i think um and I think there's, uh, you know, 
Accor and Bazan have referred to LVMH themselves in the past, and that partly it um, it was uh, um, an influence in how Accor restructured between its power brands, the Ibis and the Novatels, on one side, which is a sort of franchising operation, um, and on the other side, the luxury and lifestyle division, which is much more along the LVMH lines. And I think one of the things this this does do is put into context all this stuff we hear talking um we talk about is to, hotel companies have too many brands well i don't think many people are going to say lvmh has too many brands um mm -hmm. and you know its market cap is uh it's a poke in the eye to anybody who who would say that i mean within lvmh there are 75 what they call brand houses these are sort of um you know uh, whether it's hermes or any of the other fancy pants stuff the louis vuitton itself um um, um moe hennessy all, all all of this stuff um so it, it's what these are, are are little incubators of um, extraordinary profitability um, and they've done exceptionally well with it and they're currently revenue is close to 80 billion euros a year phenomenal and they've got five and a half thousand stores around the world so it's it's kind of they've got a property portfolio which is something like a like a big global hotel chain um yet they're driving this huge outsized profitability um out of that which is driven of course it's 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 market cap um and if you look at it and you dive into its investor presentations it talks about six pillars um which underpin its operating model so it's decentralized organization it's organic growth it's vertical integration it's creating synergies sustaining savoir-faire which is um, mm -hmm. entirely sure that is but and balance across business segments and geographies um so there are the six things now you could say Accor really doesn't hit that in terms of organic growth and probably not in terms of vertical integration although Accor is now saying it's probably done with its um, acquisition spree where it's added all of these brands or brand houses perhaps we should start <laughs> calling them um, and also the other thing is it, it's it's very keen to emphasize how its luxury and lifestyle division is about management it's not about um franchising and this is the big difference where you know you were mentioning the how much more uh, um uh, you know e e each contract within uh, the 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 luxury end is worth um relative to say a franchise um this is one of the drivers but of course it's much more intense operation itself mm. so it's higher cost in many ways so you can roll out squillions of um, franchises a lot easier than you can in terms of the management piece i would suggest um uh, so that they are you know different pitches um it does kind of reinforce the expectations you know what is the future for Accor? is it really going to be sticking with its two these two what are look increasingly different business units um and of course the company is saying right now oh it's got no intention of um, um selling off um one or t'other um and it, they want to keep them together i'm well 
you know I, I th certainly think in the medium term this is just not sustainable and they, they will separate and the big question is what happens um, how do they separate what sort of deal comes through so um, it's one of these ones where you can have some wild speculation and my wild speculation um, my favourite is that Xinjiang um, will sell Louvre to Accor um, or maybe the other way around maybe Xinjiang will buy um, the power brands off um, off Accor although I think that's likely given the the requirement for most Chinese companies to repatriate capital so um, but I think that tie-up makes a huge amount of sense and then and and then to be you know if Accor buys it it can pay for it by selling off its luxury and lifestyle division and um, Sebastian Bazan can um, head off into the sunset for semi-retirement doing his luxury and lifestyle piece and then the power brands join up with Louvre and become this this colossus in in Europe in particular so I think that's my favorite it's not going to get bought by Whitbread because um, the the leasehold and um, freehold model makes absolutely no sense to tie in with uh, Ibis um, similarly Scandic or Motel One or B&B &B or any of those they're sort of non-starters in terms of joining up with uh, the power brands bit of um, Accor so uh, you know Xinjiang is my tip for the top and um, you know I, if I, were I an investment banker I'd be running over there with my PowerPoint now to try and sell it to the either Xinjiang or Accor. Well never mind being an investment banker are you a gambling man well we're going to talk next about uh, the the world of integrated resorts and um, distinct possibility that uh, the 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 wheels are starting to be oiled such that we may see some uh, interesting movements in in the kind of world of integrated resorts of course uh, famously plenty over in america and vegas and so on and uh, macau of course also famously um, built itself up as a massive integrated resort um, with a massive gambling offering and there are efforts there have been many efforts over many years to kind of develop something similar in Europe uh, and elsewhere in the world um, the Japanese have been long hoping for a, a resort and it looks like finally they're going to get one in Osaka um, but the the European efforts well there's been there's been efforts in various various spots of Spain over the last few years um, and also more recently uh, across in Greece there's been uh, efforts to build a large integrated resort and there are two at the moment there's one in Athens and one just outside Barcelona that both look to be sliding gently forwards both are backed by Hard Rock who are going to supposedly um, put up big hotels and, and manage elements of the resorts um, and we've been looking at the likelihood of, of both of these getting across the line the um, the Barcelona one is uh, has, has sort of been embroiled in, in planning issues and then the one in Athens which is on the old Athens airport site uh, has similarly been embroiled by the sort of things that frequently embroil big projects in in Greece um, and have sort of held it up but there is maybe a hint if you're a gambling person you might even put some money on on one or both of these moving forward substantively this year yeah i think reading your piece chris i think you're favoring greece over spain aren't you in terms of i think moving ahead. i think we are but, uh, yeah. yeah um 
I think it's worth just mentioning what we're talking about here, which is this integrated uh, resort casino. Um, so it, it's not just a casino. It's um, Everybody thinks of a casino. They think of Monte Carlo, of course, which is, what, getting on for a couple of centuries old. And in a way, I suppose it is an integrated resort. It's got a, a theatre and all sorts of bits and bobs um, within it there. But what we're talking about, a much, much bigger um project here so this one in japan which they've got consent for uh, i mean it's it's humongous it's uh, two and a half thousand rooms um they're expecting it to attract 20 million guests a year and generate four billion us um a year in revenue so it, it it's it's a colossal uh, project um and it has all the positives in terms of jobs in terms of inward investment the construction jobs initially and then of course the ongoing jobs to run a resort like this um, and there's been a huge success in Singapore and Singapore was against gambling uh, initially and now it's been a, a super success there and Japan has been the apple of every IRC um, developers eye um, you know it, japan is seen as the place you know the japanese are keen gamblers and they haven't got anything to gamble anywhere to gamble um so it was seen as a great potential so it, this this thing in osaka which is due for what 2029 mm -hmm. i think um costing in excess well about 13 and a half billion us so i think you see various numbers touted around but certainly beyond 10 billion us dollars in terms of development costs so it's a huge thing um um, so that that's pretty exciting so the next one is this you know is europe is the is the standout place not to have anything at the minute um so you mentioned las vegas sands had a go in madrid and they they um withdrew in the end that that was a 30 billion project um in 2013 mm -hmm. money so it's uh, um you know that was a whopper uh, as well so um but the the greece one does look you know um I, I, we would suggest in 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 the pole position right now um to become you know potentially europe's las vegas really this is what uh, but uh, <laughs> I, I guess if you're the operator you don't want it to be so much las vegas as more like macau so um so although macau is actually smaller in terms of area than las vegas is about three times smaller it generates three times more revenue mm. so that you know so macau is the place that you know people want to emulate and well of uh, course it, it does have the bigger bigger hotels i think the venetian hotel in in macau is bigger than the one in las vegas for example mm. yeah yeah but uh, um uh, but i mean what las vegas has evolved into you know it's a now minority the gambling income is now a minority in las vegas and they're making uh, more from regular tourism conventions um and that sort of thing and and just um people coming on mm. holiday than they do um actually out of the gambling piece itself so i guess that would be the hope for how the the greek project could well, or the spanish project um could evolve i mean i think the big challenge for the the, the spanish project is it although they talk about it being barcelona it's a long way from barcelona mm. um, it's like a hundred kilometers from barcelona so i think that's a bit of a challenge for it's the other end of catalonia so um which is kind of why i suspect the greek one might uh, uh, be the winner we'll mm. see
but it's an exciting point um you've got to walk that you've got to get that right balance between restricting gambling harms but uh, enable sufficient profitability of the the resort itself um and balance those two things off um i think you know as an outsider really to the gambling industry i would suggest they've still got some work to do there but uh, they are they are they're getting there with that and uh, you know you know hospitality is one of those things whether it's alcohol whether it's gaming you know there's there's it's it has it it walks as it were a line in terms of how naughty it gets <laughs> as it were and you know the infamous um, las vegas thing what goes on in vegas stays in vegas i think captures it quite well okay now we're going to be talking about what's going on in the spanish market uh, aside from uh, integrated resorts uh, and the effort to deliver, deliver one um because the market there does appear now to be shifting uh, and, and indeed accelerating in this this shift um, towards much more of a, a market where the international brands are making headway. For many years, Spain's been dominated by private, uh, independent, family-owned hotels. And of course, back in the day, they would have um, signed up uh, with their signed up their rooms for the season with a package tour holiday operator, uh, and then just concentrated on on managing the the property while uh, someone else was was sorting out getting the punters in all that's of course broken down with the internet the change of the way people buy the holidays and so on and um so ultimately there's there's been a little bit more bit of pressure and and in on, on those owners to actually either get involved more with the brand or perhaps uh sell up to those incoming new investors who are then going to take hold of their property perhaps reinvent it and turn it into a much more profitable asset and um, we've been speaking to some of the agents who are active in spain including uh nicholas cousin of uh, of christie to understand how that uh, the landscape is changing and and actually to understand also that the the opportunity for this shift to the brands is still massive yeah, absolutely. Um, and uh, it's interesting. I was took a look at some numbers from Haworth HTL. Um, they do a regular um, collation of what's going on in terms of chain hotels and independent hotels in both Spain and Portugal. Um, and they reckon that 65% of the rooms in Spain are now chain which is quite extraordinary really i mean it makes makes spain one of the most brand intense parts of europe um portugal slightly less at 49 percent um so both i mean already we're seeing the chains um you know very dominant in those markets um and the biggest fastest growth is international chains um from a smaller base than the domestic chains um but the in 2022 which is the, the latest figures that um, Haworth put out um, that it was the international chains that were growing just slightly faster 13% growth in a year against the 11% growth of the domestic chains but I, I think one of the things and you touch on this a bit in your, your mm -hmm. piece Chris um, the success of the, the global chains is that they have worked out how to unpick the difficult family structures um, within Spain a lot of the groups are family owned and th th you know there have been some innovative deals you know coming through so first out of the blocks um, more than a decade ago um, was Marriott with the, the deal it did with AC in 2011 um, but I think more innovative is what IHD last year um, 
um, did with the Bureau Star, and I think that's a very um, interesting uh, um, arrangement, which I think we'll probably see similar things to that in the coming year or two. I mean, it doesn't always work out. Uh, Wyndham back in 2010 bought the trip brand from Melia and this was at the time going to be you know both groups both Wyndham and Melia working together uh, more closely but it's ended up um, you know Wyndham's gone off um, to just have trip in, in its own right and uh, Melia's uh, concentrating on its own brand so it doesn't always work out these tie-ups um, but I think we're going to see a lot more of this kind of stuff coming to the fore. Now, one of the other things that's really helping this is the fact that uh, um, tour operators are no longer the, the dominators of resort hotels in Iberia that they once were. Thanks to independent travel now, you've got the airlift, you've got scheduled airlines coming um, into Spain. Uh, it's possible um, to get in there without... Um, um, signing up to a tour operator package and in fact the tour operators themselves are cannibalizing this the package piece um, TUI its latest results um, talked about how um, now 25% of its passengers for out of its core home market of Germany they're now what they call dynamically packaged that is they they're adding the flight and the hotel together within within a booking but through separately it's not being presented to the customer as a as a uh, as a package um, so I think this is clearly how um, well Tui says this is how it's going to see its growth now it's this accommodation only and flight only bits of its business which is, it sees as growing quicker than its wholesale package business um, that's not to suggest the wholesale package business is doomed if you look in the UK a company like Jet2 is having great success with it what it's doing and I think there are certainly going to be uh, uh, places in the world where it's going to be very difficult to do anything other than a package I mean Cape third um, is a good example where TUI is the main airlift there if you don't fly with TUI you really can't <laughs> get there um, it's very difficult um, um, there's, a, there's a handful of scheduled to, to get there so you, you've got that so it's not suggesting that but in markets like Spain um, and increasingly places like Greece as well uh, maybe less so for the islands but mainland Greece you're seeing the ability to fly um, independently there and that that gives an opportunity for hotel brands to establish themselves and we're seeing a bit of innovation as well by by the brands uh, um, something you know which is interesting is B&B hotels for example creating us their franchise idea inspired by B&B hotels and Melia's got into the franchise game as well with affiliated by Melia so this is pushing the um, the the chain hotel uh, concept um, harder and faster with these players you wouldn't in really guess that somebody like BNB or a group like BNB or a group like Melia would be uh, would be that keen on franchising but they they're confounding that expectation and getting stuck into it so I think the global hotel majors have got their work cut out here um, they're going to have to keep innovating um, and put you know, boots on the ground to ensure that they don't lose out in this this race for market share. And now it's time to turn to our five star and no star awards. And Andrew, I think you're awarding five stars for the an exciting and positive outlook. 
yeah so far i mean we're, so we're just getting into result season for q1 now caveat is that of course um it now seems much further away than a year ago but um q122 we we still had covid um hangover um and there were still travel restrictions so we've, we've the comparatives are very flattering at the minute but nonetheless um what we can see in terms of coming out so we've had whitbread's full year come out and it, and it was a, a a super strong um performance by them so in terms of now they have a funny year end so um if their full year 20 is really ends in uh, um, the first part of 2020 and so it's really mostly 2019 so it's a 2019 comparator um, and their full year 22 is 37% ahead of that full year 20 so that's a very good very solid performance um, and then there's um, Hilton which is being super bullish in terms of their outlook so they're saying they're going to get full year 2023 rev par so not just q1 where you've got these um, easy comparators but into q2 q3 and q4 the full year they say between 8 and 11 percent um, rev par is going to go up so that's a very positive very optimistic outlook so if the rest of the results come in like this i think it's um the sector's um gonna be uh, very and from the very indeed. positive to the uh, slightly less positive for our no star award this week the uh, service department specialist who listed via a SPAC on the NASDAQ um, a little bit over a year ago and um, have just been warned by the stock market that uh, their share price is languishing at a level which means unless they can do something about it they could end up being delisted. Yeah, it's quite a sad tale actually from March 21 where it was $10 on listing and um, now what are they closing at as we speak on Wednesday? Um, 42 cents. So that's one heck of a drop actually. Um, so yeah. Um, Buy now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> or don't. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. And on that salutary note, we'll say goodbye for now. <laughs>